What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Celia holmes Indal, CEO of the EQT Foundation. Welcome, Celia. It's lovely to be with you today. Thank you. Great seeing you again. So let's dive straight in and start by exploring a bit about the EQT Foundation. Uh, perhaps you can start by sharing a bit about its passion and its purpose, its reason for being. Great. And I think uh, in order to talk about EQT Foundation, I also would touch uh, shortly on EQT. So EQT is a value-led investment organization that's global, but born in the Nordics. Uh, and its foundation uh, was established um, to safeguard the values and the culture of EQT, but to also look at what more we can do in society. So it's it's kind of new philanthropy, not only giving back to society, but also investing back into society. Well, okay. So what's interesting for the, I think, for the listener here is, and I've noticed this with other Scandinavian organizations, but not just Scandinavian, around the world, is this uh, concept of you know, recently EQT uh publicly listed, went on the stock market, and then the partners decided to set up EQT Foundation to help it be a long-term guardian of the company, its culture, and its values. Now, I really like that. I like this idea that, you, you know, you, regardless of whether the company is private or public, you have this body behind it uh, where people are voted in to help be responsible for its long-term endeavor. Now, EQT is actually quite a large organization. You know, it's got, I think it's got around 80 billion euros under management. And as you say, it's kind of values led. It's got a good uh, uh, reputation across the finance community. So can you share a bit about how this foundation then works in parallel? You know, it's a long-term guardian, uh, but it also provides a, a rich learning platform for the staff of EQT. How does that work in practice? I think from the very like first moments when we set up the foundation, we wanted to build something that really uh, was standing on the shoulders of EQT, but also kind of coming from the heart of the organization, like really coming back to where um, I think that the culture and the courage of EQT lies. And I think we talked about this when they're just moments in its history where they've kind of done stuff that others wouldn't just out of the sense that it's the right thing to do. And I think the foundation came, uh, its emergence came from the same place when we're listed on the stock exchange, creating a foundation is just the right thing to do. And uh, it was actually a, a suggestion from an employee, uh, which resulted in 15 of the most senior partners giving away uh, their shares in EQT to start EQT Foundation. Um, and the way we operate it is, um, it's both kind of an incubator of the new, both in terms of innovation, R&D, what's happening in the markets, how can we shift more capital to the places where it's not flowing. Uh, but at the same time, it's an impact first investor. So it means it can invest in an 
space in the market where EKT cannot invest when it's investing our clients and our investors' money, but that we can really have more space to to invest in the endeavors that we think are really important for society. So climate technology is at the very early stages, um, healthcare in emerging markets. Some of the, the kind of the areas where we need more track record to take down the risk and where a philanthropic investor can can be kind of the first mover and make it easier for other investor and, and bigger capital to start flowing. That's good, isn't it? You can um, start sowing the seeds of the future by encouraging, by going in there. As you know, these early investments require patient capital. Um, by a fund um, like yourselves going in there, that can help other funds feel able to move in there. So you're helping de-risk it and you're helping prove certain markets. So you're incubating the new. I also feel, um, and from our conversations together, that you're helping cross-pollinate, you're helping enliven EQT as a living system by encouraging people to work across silos, across departments, across countries on really interesting things. So could you could you speak to that, how, how the foundation actually helps enliven the living system of EQT? Yeah, so what we do is every time we help an organization or an entrepreneur, we put together a team of EQTarians, uh, as our employees are called, and they work across uh, business line or departments and regions together to help an entrepreneur solving a great issue in society. Uh, and this is a great way for us to kind of keep the system talking to each other at different levels of the organization and create those informal connections. Uh, and I, the other thing, like reading your book, when I reflect upon it also, is I think EQT Foundation actually has the mandate to act as an alchemist in trying to create that serendipity across the organization. Um, and we're seeing that already uh, of things emerging from collaborations and ideas and for our employees to come in. And, and really, I think that's part of how we're de-risking these entrepreneurs is that we put three employees on every entrepreneur bringing in a lot of competence and investment skill sets that these entrepreneurs wouldn't normally get access to. Uh, so it comes back to kind of the the sole intention when EKT was, was created to be more than capital yeah. and, and to be different than a lot of the other players, which I think you also find in the values that we have as kind of respectful and informal are two of the values, which kind of comes from this idea. And I'm... I'm lucky to be working with with Connie, who is one of the founders of EKT and who served as the CEO for 20 years. And yeah, he had this notion of creating a firm that really cared about people. Uh, so not only its own employees, but every everyone we met. And I think in a in an environment where you're working with so many stakeholders and suppliers and consultants, really coming across as somebody who cares about people, I think is is what I've have made. A lot of the success of EKT over the years. I mean, it's just good business sense in a way. And yet we go on this sort of journey. I mean, I, I was very sort of purposeful when I was when I was young and, and quite focused on the environment. And, and and I remember coming across people who were like, hey, we've got to look after people. And I was like, well, you know, actually, we've got to look after the environment. And there was always this slight dichotomy between them. And, and you saw that in the early stages of the sustainability movement. And I think now um, there's been a real understanding of the importance of both and how really to look after people 
is the beginning. So if we can't have that level of respect for each other, how can we expect it for any, anything else? And creating cultures that are more human. You mentioned there two of the values, informal um, and also respectful. And it's interesting because sometimes respectful can be taken in perhaps a, a mechanistic way of becoming about, you know, you have to have a certain way. And actually the informality that you're talking about helps get out of that this isn't a certain way this is actually about you bringing more of who you truly are into the workplace bringing more of your unique humanity and therefore is is encouraging diversity is encouraging us to each have our different ways our different tensions our different styles of working now holding space for that as a leader is a challenge but it's also a major opportunity because you can then tap into that brilliance of people so how do you notice in your own foundation and in eqt that one stimulates and it encourages people to bring more of themselves into the workplace. I think the best way of creating that space is showing up in that space yourself. Uh, I think uh, it became uh, really uh, evident for me. And like we talked about being in kind of a, a phase in my life of a lot of transformations and, and transitioning with both losing my dad recently and uh, deciding with my partner to go our separate ways. And I think sharing those with the people I work with, especially the the death of my father, and just seeing how it opened up so much, uh, both in other colleagues coming to me and, and sharing their losses, uh, but also colleagues coming up to me and thanking me for sharing, telling me that I would go home and hug their kids a little extra that night, uh, of, of really feeling that that's the part of culture that I, they really want to be part of. I, like that kind of gratefulness in the organization for for sharing that but also colleagues coming up after and being open about other areas of their life that you normally wouldn't share uh, because of creating that space and I think it's so important that people are allowed to show up as human beings at work because then you get the really best of them yeah. if you take away that part uh, you might have continuously good performance but I'm not I don't think you will get to like really thriving excellent performance and yes then you will have to allow for space for people to be more contemplative and not so productive at all moments that is also needed to kind of get to that excellence that you want to see in the people around you yeah and in yourself well exactly um you, you talk of a couple of things there one is around the sort of uh, sometimes being uh, inverted commas unproductive but that actually helping the productivity we'll come back to that in a moment the sort of idea of the sort of winter and spring and summer uh, influencing each other uh, but first i i want to talk about this you know because mechanistically uh, which is tends to be how we viewed the organization uh, we, we, we want to seek to drive out in efficiencies and effectiveness and we probably have values that are kind of espoused and what that does is end up sort of conditioning the organization so we bring a certain version of ourselves and it actually holds us back it makes it rigid and by encouraging a, a more informal a more human environment you actually bring in agility you bring in creativity you unlock the potential of people uh, but it also has back to the impact first approach of an investor it also has an immense positive impact on people's lives as you've said you know people go and hug their kids and how they are at work you know actually going to work and having a, a healthy meaningful day enriches you outside work rather than you then having to sort of flop out in front of the television to try and recharge so it, it makes sense. It's good for the business. Now, back to this sort of idea of sometimes needing to um, switch off or, or contemplate uh, mixed in with 
periods of activity, a sort of seasonality, as it were. We, we, we talk, as you know, in our work together around the sort of spring, summer, autumn, winter phase. And we talked when you were recently over here in the woods of Springwood Farm. Uh, we walked uh, the rhythm of, of spring, summer, autumn, winter, and you reflected on how the periods of winter in your life, periods of introspection and, and inner work, have sown the seeds for potential change that have then enlivened you uh, in the next stage uh, of your leadership. Uh, can you speak to that a little? Yeah, I think the, the fascinating thing that I realized is like I've followed the seasons in on the conceptual phase, but maybe over a longer period. So in my life, it feels like I go through that cycle over two, like, like a winter is actually two years and a summer might be two years with transition period in between them. And when I look back at my work, it's like when I've had kind of my most productive uh, areas, when like getting to a new chapter and you really just want to create and you feel so energized by it, it often comes after a period of like digging, doing a deep dive, reading, like really trying to get to the bottom of something that you feel could be solved better. This is alchemy that you mentioned earlier. Whereas we have alchemy in the organization where things are sort of being co-created by different people and different tensions and different perspectives. We also have that alchemy going on inside our own selves. You know, the fire, as it were, of the spring, summer, actually alchemizing with that water of the autumn, winter. And as you say, it then actually creates it, its co-creative process. One might argue that is the essence of regenerative, is being able to bring in that death-rebirth process as part of the co-creative venture of life. So often, our working environments don't create any space for that. And that's why they actually then become toxic, because it, you know we get a certain way that we feel we have to be. And Harvard professors have actually studied this and say that the, perhaps the single biggest inefficiency in our organizations today is this need to manage others' impressions of ourselves, of you know bringing a certain version of ourselves into workplace. And, as you say, I think the most important thing is for leaders to emulate that themselves, to be more vulnerable, to show up. Um, in terms of, I, I, I remember you mentioning sort of diversity profile mapping and how actually you work with different teams and you, you, you consciously look at how you can bring different people with different styles, um, uh, extrovertive, introvertive, and complementing each other. And so you can uh, celebrate this ability to question, to challenge, and to feedback. How does that work? I think back again, it comes to being able to accept tensions and understand tensions as kind of a, a birthplace of a lot of new ideas and that you need somebody that's different than you to be able to create something that would be better than if you've done it alone. And um, so I constantly try to be around people that feel that they are there because they're different not not only like that diversity is celebrated more than it's kind of looked at something hygiene that you're taking off of being x amount of this gender and the other in our um some of the areas when we're working on, on diversity equality and inclusion at EKT, we're like talking about fractionality how a person is so many different lenses of diversity that so it goes so much more than gender that you in a group are looking at do you have diversity across different dimensions and are you securing that you don't have a, a leadership team for example with 60 percent more that has kind of one fractionality uh, commonly um, uh, so giving 
space to kind of the performance and the decision making in groups. And I think that way of thinking and the way of also communicating to the people you work with that you appreciate that they have other ways of deciding. I can jump at things. I'm like, oh, this is what we have to do. I do a quick scan. I get this like really strong intuition. And then I work with people who like to check the like the different alternatives to kind of come back, who kind of challenge me a bit. And I think that's optimal for me. Uh, and I really thrive the best when I'm in that kind of environment. So it's, uh, it's really acknowledging uh, who you are and uh, what diversity will actually balance out <laughs> yourself. And then looking at that as a kind of on the system level, on the organization level, like at, as a team, what do we need as a team for skill sets? And we're using a model like where you have a spider chart and you map your each other on top of it, your profiles so that you see, see that you're kind of a well-rounded team in the type of different skill sets you want, um, but also your, your way of um, your personality types. Well, this brings us back to the informality and respect, because again, you can imagine quite quickly how sometimes that, that, that tension can kind of become frustrating because you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, I know that I need to move in this direction and now I'm being questioned and so forth. And, um, but actually having that informality and respect is, again, a good balance, uh, inviting that feedback and questioning, seeing the feedback not as a sort of critique or slowing one down. You know, it's the old expression, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You know, it's, it, it's a bit of a trade-off sometimes uh, working in teams. And so the way that you guys are emulating that is, is really powerful. Now, uh, back to EQT and the foundation. Could you give an example of something that you're doing where you feel that sort of prototyping the future and the way in which you as a foundation are working with volunteers across the larger organization? Can you, can you give something to, just to bring it alive for the listeners? So one such example would be um, uh, the investment we did in molecular attraction. Uh, this is a company that develops uh, a blend used to distract mosquitoes away from human blood to control the spread of malaria. Um, so what's unique about their kind of area, it can serve African market or any country where mosquito-borne diseases are present and it will have a high impact. But the purchasing power in these regions are not as high as in other countries. While the same product can also be sold in the rest of the world, where kind of more the upside would be less mosquito bites in, in certain areas for the people who are, who are spending time there. Um, and looking at setting up two business model as a whole and helping that entrepreneur to really prioritize the high impact market, but getting to scale across the world to ensure uh, a scalable business model that can also attract capital. So actually one of the ideas when we started the EKD Foundation and some of my lessons from working with impact entrepreneurs earlier was that a lot of people go into this, I want to become a social entrepreneur, I want to do good. And they come into this Robin Hood dilemma or tension that if I want to do good in the world, I can't make money myself, meaning that you're also not attracting capital to grow. And I thought, well, maybe we can help those type of companies reverse engineer from that angle to ensure that they build models that attract capital to grow because that's the only way we can solve the problems at the right magnitude. And I think uh, in the case of molecular attraction, I think it's also about bringing our network 
and ecosystem at work to work. So we matched the founder and the team with three Ikitarians, um, two from the investment side, but also one from the legal side. Um, we have a portfolio company that specializes in creating formula uh, that can kind of be sprayed or uh, kind of dispersed uh, and like connecting them there to help them get through also the regulatory processes that they're going through to kind of accelerate the time it takes to to get to market. Um, but also like the vast network of advisors that help EQT. So we have this, you know, this entire system around us that can really help these entrepreneurs uh, in in important ways. And, and that is one of kind of the things we're trying to unleash in a way, I would say, like really uh, empower everybody around us uh, to give back using what they're good at. So normally in a philanthropy, you see a company has their core business somewhere else and then they do good in something different. And here we're really trying to say, well, what if we actually build what we're good at? And we would give back to society in a much more efficient, effective way. I'd like to now turn to you as a leader, if I may, Celia. You know, you've talked a little bit already about, you know, yourself and your father dying um, and um, uh, letting go of a, a relationship. So all sorts of change happening in your own life. Um, where are you at in your working life, would you say? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a leader. Um, uh, you've got obviously immense potential. What's your edge at the moment? Where, where, how are things unfolding for you as a leader? The edge. <laughs> I think uh, what comes very natural to me is curiosity into how things work and how how people work, like really wanting to get to know the people I work with, because I think that's the only way I can help develop them. And I think coming back to kind of looking at yourself as a participant in the system and not kind of separate from it, I really feel that the people around me, the people I hire, reflect my relationship to myself. Uh, I think uh, the the way I work with them in terms of respecting them, giving them space to develop, supporting them, but also listening and wanting to learn from them in kind of a, a humble way uh, creates um, a leadership role that is both kind of very, it's a very like hierarchical flat, but it also creates this uh, agility within the system. Um, and really looking at like what I can give myself, I can give them. What what I can I can kind of bring out or develop in them will also reflect back on me. That you look at it as one. Yeah. So you don't think about, oh, but I, I should spend my time producing this. Like you really feel ownership to everything that is produced across the team, but also across the organization, which I think opens up for a lot of cross collaboration that you see the benefit of of helping. And I think that goes also across the organization, across our network. You see the benefit of working with other industry peers to set standards for the whole industry. You see, you see kind of the whole of it, and and then it really isn't about um, your time or others, other people's time in a way. Yeah, and if I may, from the work that we've been doing together, I I feel you're an exemplar for the in uh, for for showing the work around integrating the inner and the outer. We talk about this, you know, working on your inner self, bringing more of yourself into the workplace, and the effect that has on the outer, as you say, having a a more self-managing structure where people you're sharing power with others and therefore unlocking their potential. And it reminds me of what what Gandhi says: as one changes one's own nature, so the world 
uh, changes towards oneself. And we talked about this um, when we were together recently, how our quality of presence, our consciousness, our attitude actually allows us to sense and see things differently. And therefore, the world shows up differently and the decisions we make, the pathways that unfold change. And you had a very interesting time in your career. And uh, good for you. You came over here earlier this week and did a solo in the woods. Um, so you had a whole, you had two nights, um, uh, two evenings and a whole day on your own. Is there anything you'd like to, to share about that experience? It was great doing it uh, at this point of time. And I was, I was super surprised how quickly I kind of enter into a phase of um, existing and being without the notion of time, right? When you're, you're waking up for people listening in the woods and you have 24 hours ahead of you, you don't know what the time is. You're just waking up when the sun gets up. And you're kind of contemplating, like you're getting your first cup of tea in the morning, you're sitting down, you're like, ah, I should go for a meditation. And then you're probably used to setting an alarm for 20 or 40 minutes of your meditation and you don't have a clock. So you kind of, you just sit and meditate for as long as it feels right. That was a, a very interesting experience. I've done silent retreats in the past where you, you're you in a group of people with no eye contact. Uh, and you're you have to be at the at the shala or the the hall at certain times to do certain time meditations. But because it was so free flowing this time, it really gave me an experience of being with myself, uh, which was great. Well, what better um, uh, uh, an experience of being with oneself, as you as you know, and the work we do. You know, once we start really opening up to the self and and start really loving ourselves, then we 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 open the door to. To loving others uh, and of course life and it's been a real honor working with you and uh, Springwood um, misses you not being here and you have a nice connection um, it's been a pleasure you are um, an outstanding young global leader in the world and I'm sure the world will be seeing more of you uh, in the future thank you so much um, I'll just finish on are there any particular one or two or maybe just one tip that you might share with with others uh, on the journey towards becoming more regenerative? I think it lies in becoming more aware. And when you notice that you become more aware, it's about knowing where to seek out uh, the knowledge and leaders and the people to talk to. Uh, and and kind of in, in combination with that, I want to thank you for the work you've been doing. I remember for the first time we met uh, years back, I was like taken by your presence. And I thought, wow, Giles, you know, I better go home and read all the books. <laughs> and I think uh, I think that kind of, of sense, like when you're noticing that there's something more here in your world and you're becoming gradually more aware and gradually more curious about mindfulness and about how can I, by being more aware, create from a place in me uh, that isn't kind of affected by, by circumstances uh, that kind of are taking you away from your center and uh, no way like that you can feel fully grounded coming to work i love the feeling of having a clear mind after meditation and just going into the day starting on the most important task that's yeah. kind of my favorite feeling <laughs> yeah i mean keeping this center point and accessing being able to access this center point in life in the midst of turmoil and challenge really is the way through the eye of the storm in these challenging times Thank you, Celia. It's been a lovely conversation. Um, good luck um, and be well. Thank you so much.
For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.